Hear now the word of the Lord. It's Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 through 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we pause to open your word to let it speak to us. And so, Lord, without ears to hear, without open hearts, without your spirit at work, uh, those are just words on a page. We don't want that to be true. We want those to be life breathed into us. And so, spirit, work on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, uh, I was in Chicago again recruiting for our pastoral residency program, uh, which meant that I, I spent the week uh, eating all of the, the food Chicago has to offer, and Chicago has the best food in the world to offer, hands down. And one example uh, of that is this place called Portillo's. Uh, Portillo's is known for uh, their beef sandwiches in particular, but they have this item on the menu, which is it's the, it's called the chocolate cake shake, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is a ch- piece of chocolate cake blended into a chocolate shake, that you then drink uh, as, as, a, uh, as a beverage. Um, and so there I was. It was Tuesday afternoon. It was noon uh, when, when Nathan and my boss were eating there. And I haven't had this, this shake in like five years, so I've missed it dearly. And I'm, sitting, I'm wondering, you know, I'm supposed to work till like 8, 9 o'clock tonight, uh, and I'm already going to have a roast beef, or a beef sandwich that's not going to help that. Um, and now there's this, this, should I eat a piece of cake blended into a shake given that I need to be coherent for the next nine hours. And I just sat there, like, what would the wise person do um, in this situation? And they, I didn't. Uh, I did not partake because I knew, like, in an, you know, basically if you're going to drink that, you need to be napping 30 minutes from then, right? You're, you're worthless for the rest of the day. And so I didn't, I didn't drink that. But that, uh, as I was meditating on the cake shake in Proverbs 8, uh, believe it or not, it's actually a helpful frame for, for how we're going to end this series in, in Proverbs. Just go with me for a minute. Um, and that is, you know, I think most of the series through Proverbs, I've, I've kind of dwelled, as, as we've read this and thought about this, on the question, like, what is right or what is wrong? What am I permitted to do? What am I not permitted to do? Right? What's off limits? What's on limits? And, uh, and that's not quite what Proverbs gets at. Proverbs doesn't quite get at what's right. It actually, verse 35, actually, from what I read, is a little bit closer. And, and, and all of the me language in Proverbs 8, it's, actually, it's a reference to wisdom uh, like wisdom as a person. And so wisdom is speaking here, and wisdom says, whoever finds me, whoever finds wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And that, what that verse is saying is that wisdom isn't so much about what's right versus what's wrong, and wisdom is more like what is good. What brings life? What, what flourishes us? And what Proverbs is about, and what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks, is that we, we need to be, become people who see what is good and choose it every time. Right? Not just, what can I get away with? What's right? What's wrong? Um, but what is good, and how do I become a person who chooses it every 
time. And so really, in some ways, this message is kind of a summary of everything we've talked about and sort of a big picture of when Proverbs talks about what it means to become a wise person who can see what's good and choose it every time, there are themes that are just repeated again and again and again on the right of the heart of Proverbs 8. And we're going to look at three of them as we finish this series together. And the first... The first is that fools, uh, or I, sh- I should back up for just a minute, so that in Proverbs there's always this contract b- between the fool who, who can never see what's good and never choose it, and the wise who always see what's good and always choose it. And we're gonna, that's, wh- that's where we're going to go uh, this morning. And so, so the first, first point, first thing this morning is fools, uh, fools have it all figured out. The wise thirst for the truth. And so Proverbs 8, 33, uh, it starts by saying, uh, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. And this word neglect means, uh, it means to leave unattended, to not pay attention to. Um, so an example of this would be I have, I have a dog, and I also have three boys under the age of, of seven. And they often just open doors to our house and just leave them open. Um, and, and our dog gets out all the time. And the other thing is that I, I don't really like my dog very much. Um, and I rarely think about him, and there are moments that we can go through much time in the day when I'm like, where's my dog at? And sometimes when I, that question finally hits me, I realize, my, oh, my dog's in the front yard because my boys have left the door open, and there he's at. He's just chilling in the front yard. He's doing his thing because I, I, I feed my dog, or I don't neglect my dog in a criminal sense, but like I, I never think about my dog. I just, it's, negle- it's a neglected part of my life. It's not important. And, and to be wise, like to have wisdom, is very different. If you want to become someone who sees what's good and chooses it every time, then as the proverb says, you have, to be, you, have to, you have to hear, you have to listen. You have to be watching daily. You have to be waiting beside wisdom's doors. I think we all know that's true, right? None of us, us want to become know-it-alls that just sort of stops thinking, stops growing in wisdom. And yet we all, we all start acting like that from time, from time to time. So why is that? Why is it hard for us to, to diligently pursue a wise life and not just neglect, neglect it? And I, there's a few reasons, and I want to talk about three really briefly. One is that, that in, in our day and age, we are overwhelmed. And so Daniel Leviton, he wrote a book called The Organized Mind. Just talking, like, the amount of information you and I have available to us is, is incredible. Here's what he says. He says, our brains are busier than ever before. We're assisted with facts, pseudo-facts, jibber-jabber, and rumor, all posing as information. And trying to figure out what you need to know and what you can ignore is exhausting. Right, so the first, the first challenge you and I face, like there's so many different places to get information. How do we know what will help us and what's good? Like where do we get information about what, is, what will flourish me, what is good, what brings life? When there are just all sorts of things that give us information. So one, we're overwhelmed. Two is, is it's really easy in our day for us to be lazy. We're lazy. An example of this, in 2006, I went on a, a West Coast road trip uh, with two of my friends. And we, went, uh, we visited 17 states. It was 20 days. And we had a map. And we were very intentional. And we thought. And we made adjustments. And we, you know, as we talked a lot. And it was a lot of work. Today, when I go anywhere, uh, the only effort I put it, uh, into this, is typing the address of where we're going into my GPS uh, and occasionally searching for, for coffee um, on the GPS. Like, that's all I do. I don't touch it. I haven't touched a map in 10 years. I don't think about it. My phone does almost all of it 
for me. And, and one of the, I mean, that's one of the good things about technology is it can do so much for us. But it also means our, maybe our watching and our waiting and our working muscles are weaker because so much is done for us now. Right? Yeah. GPS, you decide. You tell me which way to go. I don't want to think about this. And that can work its way into wisdom and, and the way we think. And so third, uh, reason why it can be hard to, to learn to be wise in this day is we're overwhelmed, we're lazy. And thirdly, we, we just want confirmation. And I want to be clear, like, it's, it's really good that we have so many different sources of information for us today. That's a good thing. And yet the human tendency is to only listen to voices that confirm what you already think. And so Hannah Anderson, she wrote this book uh, called All That's Good. And, and here's what she says about this. She says, if we don't have a strong commitment to reality outside our own feelings and opinions, we can end up living in a false reality. In this reality, whatever we feel or believe to be true becomes truth for us. And, what, and, and this is basically, this is uh, borne out to be true in, in scientific studies, that we are increasingly, as a culture, only listening to voices that already tell us what we already want to hear. And so there is, like, who do you listen to that has a different opinion than you? Do you just surround yourself with people or voices that agree with you? And here's why this is important, because there's one person who, who disagrees with you more than anyone else in the universe, and that is God. God actually has a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things than all of us. And if we create a reality where we're only listening to people who agree with us at all times... That muscle of being challenged and being uncomfortable and thinking through what is true and what is not, we're going to be even less likely to go to God to do that. And so if we're going to, if we're going to be people who, who don't just have it all figured out, who haven't just, we're, we just, you know, we already know everything. If we're going to be people who are, are seeking the truth, uh, we can't seek only confirmation, we can't be lazy, and we can't just be overwhelmed and give up. We, we need different rhythms, and, and I want to suggest three. Um, again, pretty briefly here. The, the first is that if you're going to seek the truth, you're going to have to embrace the uncomfortable. And so Flannery O'Connor, a Catholic writer, she said this. She says, truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. And I would just say, like, this is, this is a huge issue in the church today, I think, because we get, all of us, we get on uh, theological or cultural or political hobby horses and we just ride over people who disagree with us, never actually giving like, consideration to why they disagree with us or what their perspective is or why is it that they think the way that they, they think. And so we, we, we immediately go to voices that agree with us. We become more confirmed in our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own reflections. And we never embrace the uncomfortable space of listening to those who disagree with us. And I just, because the reason why I think this is a big issue in the church today is I've just been in so many conversations where, where we will, you know, if, if there's an, a tense issue, we will talk at people, but we won't ask questions. And I think that's a good discernment for how comfortable you are or how much you're seeking the truth is how many, how many questions do you ask? How much seeking is there versus uh, pontificating? So you've got to embrace the uncomfortable. Uh, secondly, though, you, you have to expect to work. The wise expect to work. And for a long time as a Christian, I had this assumption, well, like, if God exists, then he should work really hard to know me. Like, that's how the universe should be built. And, and secondly, like, when you think about salvation by grace, if God wants to save us and he knows we're sinners, like, shouldn't he just make himself available to us all the time in every situation? And it should be easy for us to know God. And, and here's the deal. Like, just read the Bible, and that, 
that assumption will come undone very quickly. And especially if you read the Psalms in particular, and the, the Psalms is sort of our guide to how we pray. In the Psalms, the, there's this language there repeatedly, this word in particular, where, where the psalmist is seeking God. Right? You, it, if you were to read through the Psalms, the psalmist is, I'm seeking you. Right? Blessed are those who seek the Lord. Keep seeking. Like that language is all over the Psalms because God wants to be sought. And there's an important reality that happens when God doesn't just plop all the answers down there for us, but actually we have to, we have to do this work of seeking Him. And the best example of this for me, of this language seeking, is in Psalm 22, 26. Here's what Psalm 22 says. It says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him, who seek God, shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live Forever and and there's there's this trajectory there that the fool or not the fool the um, the afflicted shall even be satisfied and those who seek the Lord shall praise him. So the afflicted are those who seek the Lord. It's the same. It's the same people. Um, Psalms often talk in parallel structures. So what uh, happens in line one is a little bit more clear in line two. And so so there's this assumption that affliction and and those who are hungry. Those who are dissatisfied with life have to seek after God. And there's this promise in Psalm 22. If you keep seeking, you'll find him eventually. But you have to seek. You have to work. The fool wants it, wants it easy. It, you know, the fool wants the GPS. The fool just wants Just tell me what to think. God says, no, you, you have to, this, this takes work. Seek me. Look for me. So if you want to be someone who, who doesn't know it all and is seeking truth, you, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to expect to work. And thirdly, uh, you have to care most what God thinks. And in a world where like, there are endless voices telling you what's good, what's not, what's right, what's false, the question is, how do you decide what voices to listen to? What voices are saying good, life-giving things, and what voices aren't? And, and you have to look, right now, what's determining that answer for you? Do the voices you listen to, is it based on what other people will think of you? What other people will say, if you think that or do that, if, if do what voices you listen to depend on whether or not those voices satisfy you in the moment or don't. Now remember back to the first week of this series, we started in, in Proverbs 1, and in the week 2 we were in Proverbs 3. And in both of those weeks, the language of, of kind of the most famous verse in all Proverbs was right there, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That in this universe, there is only one being who knows what is good and chooses it every time, and that's God. And so when it comes to all the voices speaking into our lives, all the information we hear, we need to, if you're going to, to choose what's good every time, it's going to mean you care most what God thinks. Not what our culture thinks, not what other people think of you, not what our culture defines as good. What does God think? And we seek it with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, all our strength. So that, that's point one. The fool, the fool doesn't have time. Like the fool already, has already figured out the world. Um, the wise, no, like I, I'm seeking what's true. That's the, that's the wise life. So that, that's one. If you want to be someone who sees what's good and chooses it all the time, like you, have, you, you have to seek truth. Your life has to be about seeking truth. So that's point one. Point two, then, uh, fools, they... They follow their own desires, 
but the wise only taste what is, is good. And, and so again, the question that the Proverbs is really asking is not just like, can I, am I allowed, right? So there I am at Portillo's, can I eat this cake shake? Well, yeah, like it's, it's not a sin. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. That's actually an interesting question. Is it a sin to eat a cake bl- blended into a chocolate shake? I mean, like, no, like you can occasionally, oh, it's okay. But is it right? Is it a good thing now? Will it lead to a good, full, flourishing day of work for for me, is this good, and how do I choose what is good? And so often, like, we, you and I, we choose our lives to eat or drink or uh, to go after pleasures that ultimately are empty calories that leave us in a, regretting the decision shortly after. Right? We so often do things that feel, they feel good in the moment, and then a few hours later or a few days later or a few years later, we look back and we think, that was a huge mistake. So why do we do that? And I think the best way to answer that question is actually to watch a commercial. Uh, so we're going to watch a Diet Coke commercial to help ask that question. Look, here's the thing about Diet Coke. It's delicious. It makes me feel good. Life is short. If you want to live in a yurt, yurt it up. If you want to run a marathon, I mean, that sounds super hard, but okay. I mean, just do you whatever that is. And if you're in the mood for a Diet Coke, have a Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Because I can. Uh, Look, here's the thing about Diet Coke. It is disgusting. And it's not just disgusting. Uh, and if you, you know, if you like Diet Coke, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm actually okay with offending you as well because it's true. Uh, but the other thing about Diet Coke is that, like, scientifically, it kills you. Like, it gives you cancer. Like, it's, it's a scientific fact that Diet Coke kills you and tastes terribly. And so the people who make Diet Coke, they have a problem on their hands, which is how do we get people to drink something that tastes awful and kills people? And their answer is, like, to tap into this really deep cultural feeling you and I all have, which is I navigate this life by whatever I feel like in the moment. Like, be, I'm going to drink a Diet Coke because I can, right, because it tastes good. And listen, like, to be clear... Actually, we're going to serve Diet Coke or Pepsi in like an hour. The cheese after cheese. Like, if that's your deal, do it. I, like, Diet Coke's not a big deal. But the, like this idea that I, I want it, so I'm going to grab it in the moment. Like they're tapping into that. Like don't, don't think about consequences. If you want a Diet Coke, just drink a Diet Coke. It's not a big deal. And that, I would say, actually, there is something really true about that and really wrong at the same time. And what's right about that is that God ultimately has made desires in us. He's made pleasures. Like he wants us to taste what is good, but for a particular purpose. And Hannah Anderson, again, in her book, All That's Good, here's what she says about that. So in other words, like I'm not saying pleasures are bad. Don't ever, you know, just go around frowning all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, But here's what Hannah Anderson says about why there are pleasures, why we have desires. She writes, our life on earth, all the things we experience, all the work we do, all the good things we enjoy, aren't simply a hurdle to the next life. They are designed by God to lead us to the next life. They are designed to lead us to him like the grooves on a record. God's gifts are designed to draw us closer and closer to the center, to draw us closer and closer to eternity and to him. So when we look at something that is like a desire, a pleasure, the, the question we ask in that moment is, is not, well, all pleasure is bad, so I can't do it. No, it's, it's well, is this thing going to draw me nearer to God? And here's the problem is often we use our pleasures, we use desires, not to, to draw us nearer to the God who made this world, but just to satisfy our own stomachs, to satisfy our own desires. We're at the end of that pleasure, not God. 
And so if you want to be someone who, who can see what is good and choose it every time, it means that anytime you look at a decision, you're not just looking at the decision, you're looking past that. Well, at the end of this decision, am I closer to God? Am I drawn, will I draw nearer to God through this? Not just like, is this good for the moment? Um, although that, sometimes that's okay. Um, but like, big decision, like, is, will I be near to God at the end of this choice? And that's what the wise desire. Like, it's, it's not just, uh, I just don't want my stomach filled. I want, I want, to, I want to be satisfied. Right? I, want, I don't want to just, I want to just be full. I want to, I want to be filled. The fools just want their stomachs uh, filled. The wise hear when Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the full. We believe him and we look for that with everything we have. So that's point two. Point two, fools, they just, they just want their stomachs full. They just, whatever, whatever's on the menu, I'll eat it. The wise uh, only taste what's good. And then thirdly and finally, uh, fools, they, they never make mistakes. But the wise live a life of repentance. And, and here's the deal. If, if you want to summarize all of the teaching on the wise versus the fool in Proverbs, what, what a wise life actually looks like, the key characteristic over and over again of the wise is that they are humble and they are teachable. They're humble and they are te- They are not navigating this life as if they're, they are perfect human beings who have nothing to work on. But that is how the fool uh, operates. And so the most, one of the most famous Proverbs, uh, it's Proverbs 26.11, says this about the fool. This is like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And a fool makes a mistake and it's vomit and they don't understand that it's vomit. And they just go back again. And they can't see it. They can't understand it. They keep making the same mistakes over and over again. The wise... The wise live a life of repentance. And it's just, I think it's just easy to reflect for a moment. Like, how easy is it for you to apologize? And better yet, like, when you apologize, is it full-throated? Or is it conditional, right? Do you have to get all, do you have to get everything out on the table that the other person did that caused you to do? Or can you just apologize? Can you repent? We are, uh, at Christ Community, we're a Protestant church. And so in the world, there are basically three, kind of three streams of churches. There's Catholics, there's uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox, which you're probably less familiar with, and there's Protestants. And our kind of stream of Christianity started uh, 500 years ago or so when a man named Martin Luther uh, nailed 95 theses to the door of a church, basically to protest abuse and corruption and, and bad theology, all sorts of things. The church was just not in a healthy place. And, and so he listed that. He had, he had 95 problems, and he wrote all of them down, and he, 95 theses. And the first thing he wrote, thesis one for, you know, our stream of churches, thesis one was this. Uh, Martin Luther wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. And that's an interesting phrase. The entire life of the Christian is one of repentance, and I think the re- that's interesting because repentance is really hard. When we repent to God, one, I mean, we could easily start thinking, "Well, if, like, did I sin too much this time? Will God forgive me? Am I still loved? Will He, will he still welcome me?" Um, repentance is hard because when we repent, we have to own the consequences of our action. We may have to make restitution to those we have sinned against. And so, this idea, like a lot of times when we think of repentance, we think, "Well, when you become a repent a Christian." You repent one time of your sin, and then you're saved forever, and that's how, that's how it works. And that is true, but Martin Luther says that's, that's true, but it's not enough. Actually, the whole of the life 
of the Christian life is a life of repentance. And what he meant, he meant two things by that. One is that Christian, we're always repenting because our standard of life as Christians, our standard is Jesus. Jesus is, is goodness itself. And the reason, why, uh, the reason why I'm always repenting is because the more I follow him, the more I look at him, the more I hear his teaching, the more I see his life lived out in the Gospels, the more I see his life lived out among other Christians, the more I see Jesus, the closer I get to him, the more I see my own flaws, the more I see my own, uh, my own moral imperfections, the way I see I, that I can't do so much of what he does just naturally. I mean, Jesus, he always sees what is good, and he always chooses it. And you, if you study him, if you get to know him, if you follow him, you'll, you'll just find there's just, there's just such a gap between me and him. And so that, that's what it means. All of our life is, is, is our standard is Jesus. I'm try, my life goal is to grow closer and closer and to reflect more and more Jesus, which means I'm, just, I'm so well acquainted with my own flaws, my own shortcomings, which should mean that like repentance as a Christian is really easy. And yet it's not, right? I mean, think through when was the last time you apologized to someone? Or when was the last time you listened to someone like rebuke you, like push back against something you had done? When was the last time you admitted you were, you were wrong? So the more you follow Jesus, the easier that is, because the more you want to be like him, and the more you see, oh, I'm not there yet. And the more it hurts you that you're not there yet, because you're not there yet with your family, with your kids, with your parents, with your coworker, like all of that. So Martin Luther meant all of the Christian life is a life of repentance, because we're, we're not to Jesus yet. But secondly, that doesn't mean we walk around sad all the time. The second reason all of the Christian life is a life of repentance is, is we can repent because we know we will be embraced every time. Right, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why it's hard not to repent is because, well, will the other person forgive me? Will, and if it's God, will he forgive me? Will he embrace me? Um, and, and so sort of in light of the gospel, one of, we have a practice at our home, the Spanbergs. So we have three boys, uh, kind of six, four, and two. And the deal is if you, if you sin in the Spanberg home... And with three boys, six, four, and two, there's lots of sinning happening at all times in our home. If you sin, like, you have to go to the person, you have to say, I'm sorry. And the person has to say, I forgive you. And listen, I don't, I'm, we force them to say that. It's not an option. You have to say that. Um, and, and what we find now, we don't really have to force them anymore. And this, this is really sweet. Like, you know, one of our kids goes up to the other, I'm sorry, I forgive you. It's just a really sweet moment. And it's worked so much into them that a couple weeks ago at church, um, Abel, our youngest, who's two, he was, uh, he was on the hunt for donuts after church, and all the donuts were gone at this point. And, and so he goes up to an adult of the church, and he asks the adult, uh, where, where are the donuts? And the adult, being funny, this wasn't true, but was being funny, uh, said, you know, well, they're all gone because I ate all of them. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't say that to a two-year-old. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, and that person's not in the room right now. I better be careful. Anyway, uh, so... It, you know, he, Abel looks up, and he is, he is just destroyed emotionally, right? Like, there are no donuts, and you ate all of them. Like, you left none of them for me. And he looks up, and he says, if he, but he looks up at this guy, and he says, I forgive you. <laughs> right? Which for like a two, yeah, seriously. For a two-year-old, like, that's like, you know, you, you stole my bun, like my stuffed animal, or you murdered a, a sibling of mine, and I forgive Like, that's, that's, that's where we're at, and... And it was this powerful moment of forgiveness, and, and even more powerful uh, now. Our boys often, and this is totally unprompted by us. We didn't we didn't teach them this. They'll actually go and they'll they'll hug each other, and the the boy who says I forgive you will kiss the 
the one who's saying, I'm sorry. And this is really powerful um, embrace. I don't expect it to continue, but I hope it does. Um, <laughs> right? It might, it might be a little weird if they're teenagers, um, maybe, but uh, uh, it's, it's this really powerful moment. And it's, I, ultimately, it's why you and I can repent. We don't have to hide from Jesus. Because we know through the gospel, he will embrace us every time. Right? The, the, back to that first moment of repentance and seeking Jesus. That's, we repent one time for sin. We come into the, the church or into salvation one time. And then we know every, every act of repentance from that day forward, we will be embraced. We will be forgiven. And that's why we, that's why we can repent. And it's why, uh, why actually we as Christians can take the Proverbs more seriously or with a, a degree of confidence that, that probably wasn't even true of the Hebrew believers in their day, in that if the, if the characteristic of the wise, right, it wasn't they had the most to say and they said the best things and they had the best, the, the characteristic of the wise was humility and teachability. How much more can we, in light of the gospel, read the Proverbs and say, yes, yes, that the gospel makes it possible. We know we will be embraced every time because Jesus, he went to a cross for us. He suffered for us. He died for us. If, if you, like, Jesus knew everything about you and gave his life to you. So as you come to him to repent, and as you go to others uh, to repent to them, there is no question of, of Jesus' disposition towards you. He already gave his life for you. You don't have to hide anything from him. You don't have to fail to repent of anything. You don't have to, to fail to apologize. It should be easy for us. It should be easy for us because, one, we know, like, that's the wise life, but it should be easy for us because we know God is not withholding from us. He will embrace us. He will forgive us. And so here, like the irony at the heart of the Proverbs is the wise person is not the one that's most impressive, the one with the most to say. The wise person is humble, who sees their flaws, who are, they're always learning, they're always seeking the truth. They're not in a settled position. That's who a wise person is. And if, if you make that your life, you will be a person who can always see what is good and always choose it. The, the wise, they're, they're hungry, they're teachable, they care most about uh, what is good. And, and so they set up shop. They set up shop at Jesus' feet, watching and waiting, waiting beside his doors, watching daily for him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we, as we think about, like, we live in a really complicated world. It's really hard to navigate, and we, we want to we live in this world with wisdom. And so, Lord, we, we've just been in the Proverbs for a few weeks, and now we, we latch into this, this key idea that, God, we want to see what's good and choose it every time. And so, Lord, help us now in this moment to repent to you. Just we're sinners. We, we sinned this week. We have flaws. Help us to own those before you. If there's people we need to own those with, God, help us to do that. Lord, make us seekers of, of truth. Lord, let us not be satisfied with easy answers or only hearing what we already believe. But God, let us seek you with everything we have. Seek your truth with everything we have and then live out of the, that truth with firm conviction. And so God, now we turn our attention to you in song and in, in communion eventually, Lord, to... Um, to hear from you and to see what's good. So Lord, open our eyes by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.